Welcome to LOA Today. I'm Walt Thiessen. With me today are Sam Page and Jennifer Rucka. This is your Daily Dose of Happy. We are so happy you decided to join us today. And this is an exciting day because uh, Sam, Jennifer was actually a guest on the show last week, and she did such a marvelous job that I thought, you know, what would happen if we were to bring her on to Tuesdays with you and me? So we've become three, and I think you're going to like her a lot. I don't know if you got a chance to hear that show, but I think you're going to like her a lot. And, and Jennifer, Sam is like one of the most amazing pianists you'll ever hear. And he's actually put, he's actually performed for us on the show here at times. So, I mean, what's amazing about Sam is that he has the ability, oops, there we go. He popped off. He'll be popping, popping on in a moment. He has the ability to literally sit at a keyboard with no preconception about what he's going to play, put the fingers on the keys and start playing. Oh, wow. And then beautiful music just comes out. Wow. So yeah, it's, it's just, it's just an amazing thing to, to hear him play. In wow. fact, the only thing that's really missing is the fidelity. We haven't figured out how to, to, to give his piano the oomph that it needs to have to sound really, really good. But you'll get a chance to hear him. He, he's just amazing. Okay, here he is popping back in again. All there right. There we go. Yeah, oh, Naya's working. There you go. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so I was just singing your praises as a pianist. I hope you don't mind. Oh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I love that answer. That's great. And we have a special guest joining us today. Her name is Lynn Bowman. And Lynn has, well, she, she she has a really great perspective because everything that she looks at in life, she looks at from the perspective of being a grandmother. And in that perspective, she has basically discovered all the stuff she's going to be sharing with us today. Now, the the original topic, so to speak, is food and issues that people have along uh, 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 with food. Excuse me. I'm just tripping over myself right now. But. It, as we were talking before the show, it actually goes beyond that. It actually starts with the mindset. But before we even get to the mindset, we got to get to the story. So first of all, Lynn, thanks for joining us. And second of all, give us your story. Tell people, you know, where does Lynn Bowman come from? Okay, well, we've already, I'm old, so I have so many stories. <laughs> I can't even remember most of them because they were in the 50s, 60s, 70s. And, you know, that was a long time ago now. Well, well, you know, pick the one that tells us about who you are. Well, I, I was just thinking about what you said about Sam, because it's fascinating to me how we don't have any idea why and how we arrive on this earthly plane with whatever crazy gifts we have. And half the time, we don't even figure out what they are for a long time. Mm-hmm. But who knew, right? I mean, you 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 got here with a program of some kind that made this magical music come from you. And I wound up making pancakes. I mean, <laughs> you know, those are two of my favorite things. I've, I've tried a lot of other things, but it it's such a privilege and a joy to have arrived at this age. I'm 76 and I love talking about that, by the way. People are so, Kind of, well, can we talk about how old you are? Oh, jeez. Heck yeah. You know, I mean, isn't it interesting how differently we're approaching our seventh and eighth um, decades now? We are not our grandma's grandma. (laughs) (laughs) That's very true. Doing this in a different way. And big part of why I'm out here telling stories and hollering is because 
Uh, it's all about how you take care of yourself in your 30s and 40s and 50s and 60s, how you arrive at your 70s and 80s and 90s. And of course, I'm in the cohort now, now where I have so many friends who are experiencing health, severe health difficulty. Mm-hmm. And uh, also caring for parents who are in their 90s or 103 or whatever and dealing with a lifetime of either good habits or not so good habits. And, and it, Walt, it's all about mindset. It really is. It really is. And so when you say, what's my story? I usually, I have to go back to the fact that my mother died when I was young. I, I was 18 and my mother died. And so my whole world vanished. My house, my dog, my dad went off. My siblings went off. I was the youngest. And so all it's like being marooned, you know, on an island, being adrift in a boat. And you're just, it's it's up to you, baby. You're all. And so I had the gift of both the freedom and lack of supervision um, and uh, incredible stupidity (laughs) that I could just kind of grope my way around and feel my way through my late teens and 20s, make hideous mistakes, uh, as many of us do. But boy, mine were spectacular, some of them. Um, good for you, actually. That's actually a good thing to make, you know, really big mistakes because there's more to learn from them that way. Yes. And I'm a believer and I, I love talking with parents about their issues now with their little ones because so much parenting now is is helping kids avoid pro no you know push them out there let your kids fail i think it's if if i if i had a message especially for young parents learn how to let your children fail that's the only way they learn and um and so i'm here representing spectacular failure on one hand uh, <laughs> And um, also it was the 60s. So, hey, you know, failure was kind of fun in those days, if you want to know the truth. Um, we tended to do it uh, to the accompaniment of fantastic music mm-hmm. and um, some decent drugs. Um, many of them <laughs> have taken off the market since then and are coming back now. I'm happy to say that's a whole other show. Um, <laughs> it is. An, we actually have done that topic, but you're right. That is a whole other show. And it's fascinating. <laughs> It's worth more than one show. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I so, agree with that. Yeah, and I was around, I was from L.A., so I was around show business and, you know, did makeup and um, acted and wrote stuff and so on. But as I was looking around L.A., I just kept going, what a pit. What a, <laughs> you know, what a nasty place to do business. And, mm-hmm. of course, as a young female person, uh, it was particularly fraught. Hmm. And um, so I left. Uh, I went to North Carolina uh, to take a job with the NBC affiliate in uh, Wilmington, North Carolina. And um, and as I was telling Jennifer earlier, I was the I think I hold the record for being the very worst broadcast weather person in the entire history of broadcasting. <laughs> uh, I was hideous. I was just terrible. I mean, it looked okay, you know, but that was it. <laughs> I didn't know anything about weather. Um, and because I'd been told I was going to be doing news. So it's like, oh, no, change up the last minute. Oh, lovely. Um, yeah. Anyway, 
And then yeah. I went on to do other things and worked in advertising and marketing and um, uh, ran away from uh, a hideous, uh, violent marriage and came to Silicon Valley in the nine, in 1980, which is an interesting thing to think about because how do I land there? You know, because that was when the whole microcomputer thing yeah. was blowing up. So, so, and I, I didn't really understand exactly how it was going to work, but I arrived there with a, a good book, as they called it in those days. I was a, a good writer, copywriter. And the Silicon Valley didn't have any. They had all amazing machines, these new microcomputers. And there were about three people that knew how to do the marketing and advertising and writing. So it's like, who's that girl? Okay, we'll let her do it. Um, I had an opportunity to do things that I probably wouldn't have had in other places. And, uh, and I loved writing about technology. I felt comfortable and happy translating technology for people who didn't weren't comfortable with technology and in those days sam you don't know this but in those days gentlemen would not touch a keyboard because that was women's work (laughs) i'm laughing i I understand completely i I was one of the few who actually did touch a keyboard but i know exactly what you mean okay and so the executives who were making all the buying decisions and all the anything decisions couldn't get they didn't understand this whole new world of here here's the world on your desktop just put your hands on these keys they're going oh my god you know get the get my secretary you know still put her hands on the keys it's like no no you understand it's that's not what we're going to do anymore you're going to put your hands on the keys now you know um so it was it was a fascinating time and it was a sea change in the way as you all know now um, we worked and thought about things. So it was fun to be part of that. And it also allowed me to make a living as a single mother of three little kids. Um, I, I came across the country on a train with a two-year-old, a three-year-old, and a four-year-old. Wow. And yeah, and they survived, and so did I. And they are all in their 40s. No felons so far. Still <laughs> That's children. good. Yeah. And and I have two grandchildren, hard one and treasured. Um, so yeah, out of all of that, of course, it's the grandma part that's the most exciting and most I interesting. I love that. Yeah. And, and I, I love how you and Jennifer, Jennifer, you were, you were talking with Lynn before we got started about your short careers in television, which I thought that's was right. just really great. Yes. Yes. But <laughs> to black out every time I came up, went onto camera, but yeah. you really have to know and love and be passionate about what you're talking about. And when you're not, it just doesn't fly. It doesn't stick. And, um, yeah, it definitely wasn't my path at the time, but it was an adventure. Yes. An education. Yes. Yeah. Somewhere I saw myself going, but I got to go there kind of like you, right? You weren't, you weren't expecting to do the weather. And then all of a sudden you were doing the weather. Right. And, uh, so your life is taking some turns there too. And I always liked being behind the camera more than being in front of it. It um, Yes. Yeah. A different, whole different world. Yeah. 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 Now, when did you, cause, um, you went through chronic disease with diabetes, right? Mm-hmm. So when did that happen? Did that happen before your kids or after your kids came? Like a, a lot of women, I was diagnosed with my first pregnancy or right after it when my son was 10 pounds 
and I had gained 60 pounds. The, and I was in North Carolina and all male medical staff, you know, uh, um, there were no women attending you. And they said, Oh, you probably have had gestational diabetes. Was I tested for it? Did it? No, no, no. They kind of figured that out after I had this huge baby by emergency C-section. So I was told that I would probably develop type two diabetes as I got a little older. And as I continued to have babies and get older, I kept saying, well, do you want to test this? Anybody want to do a test on me or anything? No, no, you're, you're fine. You're young and you're not overweight and you're okay. And when I finally convinced someone to give me a test, by then I was looking at 40. Um, yeah, I was over into diabetic territory. So I was told, like many people are told still, well, it's a progressive disease and it's going to get worse. And what you do is you try and lose weight and you keep your carbs limited and don't eat too many sweets and eat a lot of meat and vegetables. So um, I had a special incentive, I think, to stay alive. I had um, three little kids, a homicidal ex, and I was determined to stay on my feet. My mother had left early, and I wasn't going to do it. So I started doing research. I started reading. I started doing whatever I could do to figure out how to beat this disease and or at least manage it. And And I did pretty well. You know, I did kind of a lot of the common stuff, but... Starting about 10 years ago, the information, the data coming out had changed. And I realized that there were, there was more that I could do. And then, and I started and had a lot of friends, family members saying, you should write that. You should write about the way you cook. And because my specialty was dinner in 15 minutes, I don't care how many, whatever, sit down. I'm going to have food on the table. It's going to be good. And so, I, you know, because there were kids and friends and so on, I learned how to slap it together and have it be healthy for me and for the kids and cheap because I was always broke, of course. Um, and three kids through college. Hello. I did it. Uh, but, but there were not a lot of extras. Right? And so I learned how to cook fast and cheap and skinny. In fact, I did a book called Fast, Cheap and Skinny. And then um, I did another couple of books with a longtime friend. Deidre Hall is an actress uh, who has been, I'm happy to say, on the same soap since 1976. Wow. Now, if anybody had told us then that she would still be clocking it in now, I mean, who knew? It's so crazy. Um I met her. I, wor I worked for Redken Laboratories at the time. Ah, the hair. Yes, ma'am. And uh, I had been I had been in uh, at Redken for about three weeks. I went to work there as a, an art junior art director or something. And I went in on a Monday morning, and everyone had been fired but me in the advertising. Whoa. So, and it, this is mindset, Walt. It's like you know the survivor. I walk into the president's office and said, okay, I'm here for you. We'll get this. We'll fix it. No worries. <laughs> what the hell? I mean, <laughs> I was, I was 21 years old, you know, and 
totally unprepared. But I, I called all the vendors and said, okay, I'm coming over. Teach me everything about reproduction art, about printing, whatever. Okay. They go, okay. Um, so we held it together and that was kind of my grad school for three years. And part of that was hiring these beautiful hair models to come. And one day, one of them was this skinny, freckled, adorable thing from Florida, fresh off the boat, as I like to tell her. And we just fell madly in love and we've been friends ever since. And, um, and I, isn't that nuts to, to who does the same job for how many years is that? 40? Yeah, that's pretty rare these days. That's pretty rare. Yeah. And TV. Yeah. Jennifer and I lasted 20 minutes. (laughs) (laughs) We were gone the same week. (laughs) (laughs) But so anyway, um, where was I? I was telling a story about something. Well, your actress friend and how you were starting. You wrote a book with her too, right? We did two books together. And, uh, because she was going to Australia and she said, why don't you go with me? I said, great, but we need a book. Okay. So we did a book. And then, uh, people kept saying, you need to write about the diabetic part of it. So I did. And then I went to a conference in 2019 that was kind of earth changing for me. It was the plantricians conference. Have you heard about that? It was doctors, MDs from all over the world. Uh, and it was, it was headlined by Dean Ornish and T. Colin Campbell, the docs who had been leading the charge for a long time, but, but were mavericks in medicine because no one believed you could really heal with food. Mm. But Dean Ornish had the receipts. You know, he was getting the, the uh, research done and, and he had the data. And T. Colin Campbell, of course, wrote the China study, and that is life-changing for a lot of people in uh, nutrition. So I, I, I had to go to that. I went to that. It was in Oakland, California, and sat there for a week, five days, watching PowerPoints from 8 in the morning and to talk about torture <laughs> from 8 till 8 o'clock at night every day, looking at the data that I had never seen. I mean, I knew about and around a lot of the stuff that they were talking about, but there it was. And I was like, oh, I had this book about half written and it was mostly in line with what, but there were some pieces really missing. And so I was able to put it together with the data, the science that was now available that had not been available when I started this process. Very nice. so there it was. And I felt, I, I, I felt like I was, this was the Holy Grail, right? This was the book that told you how not to have diabetes, whether you had type two diabetes and, you know, or did, didn't want to have type. And it also works for heart disease and a lot of other mm. diseases. And, and now, I mean, in the last five years, it's like, okay, microbiome and this and that and the gut brain and fasting, all this new, it's not really new, but all of this more accepted now thinking about food and health and healing with food and also sleep and your mind. Uh, of course, you know, uh, depression and anxiety and all these things have a great deal to do 
with your gut biome and your food processing and all this. So it's all one system. And allopathic medicine, Western medicine, has been so siloed that you would talk to your foot doctor or your hand doctor or your skin doctor or your whatever or your endocrinologist, but even your endocrinologist wasn't looking at the whole human ever. Mm -hmm. And I'm sorry, but how could we miss that? You know, if you're a granny, you know that you have to look at the whole person. Mm -hmm. Um, You have to. So, so I wrote this book and uh, got on this, this path talking to people about it because people need to understand that they can reverse their chronic disease and they can prevent their chronic disease. And our hospitals are full of people with preventable, reversible diseases. Very true. And they are, they're getting their feet amputated and their heart operated on and I'll, when if they had and I'm going to be kind of rude right now Walt, but if they had just stopped eating crap mm. and started loving themselves a little more with better fuel and you know people are feeding their Labrador retrievers with a great deal more care than they are feeding themselves Boy, is that true? you're nodding Sam you know I'm right about this Oh, yeah. <laughs> so interesting, too. You know, little Fluffy the cat is getting his special little vitamins and all these things. But then you go back in the living room and eat nachos and drink beer at 11 o'clock at night or eat pizza. Um, what, how did you not make the connection, <laughs> right, that, that your health and energy and well-being come from what you put in your body? It's so obvious. I think it's probably why we missed it because it's so obvious. Please, you know, uh, please. And, uh, mm. I got a and question the, for you, actually. Um, because, good. uh, you, you, your topic, uh, that, uh, of the book was diabetes because you've gone through diabetes yourself. Um, oh. one of the prevailing theories that's, that's kind of gaining some, uh, traction in the medical community these days is the idea that Alzheimer's should be relabeled as diabetes type three. That's right. Uh, Yeah. Because when you impair the blood circulation in your brain, you are impairing. And another thing I like to talk about is autophagy. Who knows what autophagy is? Raise hands. I do not. Jennifer. Well, I know it happens through fasting. Right. Yes. The longer you fast, yeah, the more you yeah. change the whole autophagy. Yeah. And, and what it is, is it's the same thing as the, the road crew, the cleaning crew. When the traffic is all gone, 4 a.m., the guys come out with the brooms and the shovels and the stuff and they clean the, and they pick up all the crap and they get the, you know, the pathway safe again for traffic. Your brain your body is trying desperately to do the same thing for you. But in order for your brain and your body to go through this process of autophagy, which literally means self-eating, it means, mm. it means, it means recycling all the bits and pieces that get used and chewed up. 
your body is such a lovely, efficient, crazy, wonderful machine. It knows how to clean itself, how to get rid of this stuff or recycle it. But if you don't stop eating and leave 16 to 18 hours between meals frequently, your body, I mean, the crew is standing by going, what? 11 p.m. pizza, Jimmy Kimmel, stop. <laughs> we want to help you. Right? We want to clean your brain. Uh, and if you think about it, how many people do you know who's who've probably never left even 10 hours between two meals in their whole lives? Yeah, right. Just, As um... Americans eat continually. All the time. And as diabetics, we were told six meals a day, you know, small meals. No, really? That was part of the di- the, uh, the the prescription. Yes. Small wow. meals. Meals. Yeah. Wow. Wrong. I didn't know that. Yeah. Oof. yeah yes. And doesn't that spike your insulin? It keeps spiking the insulin, right? So every time you eat something, you spike yeah. the insulin. That would be horrible for a diabetic. Right. Right. Even if you were eating within program, even if you were eating sugary, non-carby foods. Right. And another thing, I eat carbohydrates. I love carbohydrates. I just eat great carbohydrates, really good, nutritious, whole, very important, plant-based uh, carbohydrates. I don't eat cruddy food. I don't eat processed food. I don't eat machine-made food. I eat real food. And that's what I recommend for everyone. And and people think, well, if you've beaten diabetes, you must be like keto, paleo. No, sorry. Um, I, I, I appreciate those ways of thinking, but long term, and again, I've looked at the data. It's science based in my mind. Long term, what works is not much meat. Meat's okay. Fish is okay. Has to be high quality, has to be pasture raised. No factory farmed anything because of a number of reasons, um, partly because of what it does to the earth, but it's not doing anything good for your body either. So if you eat meat or fish, um, it needs to be like my neighbors here. You know, we know the animals' names and we see them. We wave at them. They're right here and they're eating real food themselves. They're eating grass all day for their whole lives. And, um, Chickens, right down the street, make the most beautiful eggs. I love eggs. We eat a lot of them and a lot of them in my cookbook. But these are real eggs, and they are that brilliant deep orange yellow that comes from the chickens eating real food. They're eating bugs and slugs and grass and all the things they're meant to eat and all the things you're meant to get in your body through them. Um, And so I... It's um, the whole, we're into this keto or paleo or even the intermittent fasting thing. I'm a little, yeah, because it's, it's not, it's not a religion. It's not a program. It's just eating smart, eating real food, you know, in a sensible way. I, I had house guests this weekend, like everybody did. Um, one of my daughter's best friends from college, French. And we had such a good time speaking French again, but comparing the way French parents are bringing their kids up food-wise and the way Americans are bringing their kids up food-wise. And um, huge, 
difference. And she talked about how a French dentist expects you to listen. And that French dentist will say, you know, there's a little thing here and I want you to work on it. And when you come back and then when you come back, they'll go, OK, did you work on the American dentists go? Oh, I guess you're doing the best you can. They don't want to hurt your feelings or something. You know, they're not really into correcting how you are damaging your teeth or your kids are damaging their teeth. And of course, in the United States, we have a disease called, oh, what do they call it? I'm not even, it has to do with soda and kids' teeth, like, um, cheer wine disease or something. Um, but our, our kids are wrecking their mouths with soda and adults. Are you ready for this? Are wrecking their teeth with frappuccinis from Starbucks mm. because adults, yeah, affluent adults who go often to the dentist, their dentists are going, what? And it's coffee full of sugar and milk being held against your gums all day and into the night. Mm. Sam, have you done that? Am I going to have to talk to you privately? Oh, no, I don't drink coffee, actually, but this is making me glad I don't. Okay, no sugar and no milk. Anyway, yeah, okay. (laughs) Lynn, I was going to ask you, though, what what does a typical day of eating look like for you? Because some people will be like, well, you say you eat carbs. Like, what does that mean? Like, um, just because a lot of people might think, that carbs are different than your version of how you eat carbs. Mm, okay. Well, first of all, it looks fabulous. My food is <laughs> And, and I say that because, uh, and, and I promoted that in the book. I like a beautiful plate of food, color, texture, mm. little leaves, little flowers on it. I do that. That's important. Um, it's important because it should delight your senses. All yeah. of them. Smell great. It should look beautiful. So breakfast is likely to be some of those eggs I was talking about with some vegan cheese maybe mixed into it. I I do eat goat cheese and um, sheep's milk cheese because the protein in those is different than cow's milk. So I don't eat cow's milk products at all unless they sneak into something and I don't know they're in there. But um, I eat, I do eat goat's milk and cow's milk cheese. And I eat a lot of fruit, two or three pieces at least a day. And breakfast is usually, I love chopped arugula. I love the smell of it. I love how it looks. It's inexpensive. I always have a fridge full of it. So it's likely to be on my eggs um, or in my eggs. And uh, cabbage, we eat a ton of it, um, chopped. You know, the purple cabbage is so beautiful on so many things. And then um, I will have a piece of sourdough walnut toast mm. from Companion Bakery in Santa Cruz. And sourdough, as you may know, is a little different than regular. And we actually grow wheat right here on the coast in a couple of places. That is the old-timey wheat. It's, it's not the same kind of wheat that Wonder Bread is made out of. It's not the same kind of wheat that most commercial products are made from. It's the seed that your grandparents, great grandparents grew wheat from. So it's, it's an entirely different beast. And that I am fortunate that we have a couple, there's one in San Francisco, one in Santa Cruz, where they make this extraordinarily fabulous sourdough dark brown bread with 
walnuts in it. And of course, walnuts are brilliant for you and they're yummy. Um, so are you with me? That's just breakfast. Yeah, yeah. That sounds delicious. So the sourdough is just better to digest? It's easier on your stomach to digest? Um, I don't know that it's easier to it's but it's worthwhile to okay. digest. It actually is nutritious. It's going to feed you and it feeds your microbiome because it's, um, you know, uh, what they, it's what, what those foods are that you put in salt and you, um, fermented. Fermented. Thank you. That's sourdough. Yeah. Fermented foods are great for your microbiome. Yeah. So I'm always thinking about my microbiome, wanting to make it happy. And because I know personally, as many of us do, what it's like when you mess up your microbiome. If you've ever had a course of, for example, um, uh, an antibiotic mm -hmm. that kills a, an infection in your jaw or something, you may also kill off everything worth having in your gut. And you may not realize you've done that until you have a terrible case of irritable bowel syndrome or some other nasty thing. And so you learn, we learn as a grandma, I have learned that you want to take care of your microbiome. And I'm happy to see a lot more docs talking about that now. The brain gut connection uh, is very important too. And so we just talked about breakfast. So lunch, but dinner. Before, before you get to lunch and dinner, I just want to throw in something else about sourdough because sourdough bread is flavorful. Hello, it's delicious in that. It is. <laughs> it, it's the most flavorful bread out there, actually. I can't think of anything that has more flavor. Can you? No. And once you've eaten great bread, you don't ever go back to stupid, wimpy bread. I don't think <laughs> anymore. Because you also realize it's nothing. It, you're not putting anything worthwhile in your body. Mm. It's just, it's nothing. Um, and politically, we could go on about that. It's supporting people who are not doing good things for the earth. Um, so everything you eat, I think it's important to think about where it came from and who's getting damaged in the process. I mean, that does matter. So lunch, lunch. Um, it's important, I think, to talk about timing of food. I eat basically two meals a day. I eat a great breakfast. Y'all have to come over, eat breakfast with me. Um, and my book, Brownies for Breakfast, sincerely, my brownies are made, and I, they're great breakfast food. They're made from pumpkin and, uh huh, nut butter, no sugar, no oil, no, nothing except yummy food. So it's eggs. That sounds intriguing, actually. And it's cocoa, which is a great nutritious food and eggs, great food if you get good eggs. Pumpkin puree, fabulous. You can always have it in your larder. I always buy it right now this time of year because then a lot of stores stop carrying it after Christmas. Like, wait, you know, it's the best thing to have on your shelf. So I always have a, a pantry full of pumpkin because I do a lot of recipes with it because pumpkin and nut butter, and it doesn't have to be, I use a lot of almond butter, but it can be cashew butter. It can be peanut butter. Pumpkin and those nut butters make a fabulous I don't know exactly what happens chemically, but instead of flour and oil, it acts the same way in a baked product. Interesting. So you will eat it thinking that you're eating 
flour and oil like you already have, but you're eating good food, nutritious, colorful, wonderful food. I also put a lot of spice and stuff. So my brownies have, of course, cinnamon. Um, what am I forgetting? Baking soda. They're very simple. One bowl. Anybody can make them. Kids can make them. Your crabby 85-year-old grandma can make them, um, which I also think is important. You know, everybody's watching cooking shows now, right? Raise your hands. Do you watch cooking shows? I don't actually, but I, do. I understand okay. what you mean. Okay. But nobody's making that stuff. Because <laughs> they maybe never have. They watched Julia Child because they wanted to watch Julia Child. Right. right. I Although, and, okay. And back in the day we did I think try to imitate you, but the whole idea is nobody's in the kitchen anymore. And we need for you cannot be healthy if you're eating out of a bag or a box. You just can't. Somebody has to chop something and source something. And, and it should be easy and, you know, painless and fast and fun, uh, and include your family members. But you've got to make real food. You can't just grab and go. You can't drive through and be healthy. Sorry. And do you find that you're more full on whole foods too than you are? Like if you go through a McDonald's drive through, like, Oh, jeez. <laughs> what a comparison. <laughs> You, you know this most likely. Those foods are actually engineered by people who have made a career and shareholder value out of making foods that do not nourish you or fill you up. Because then you want more, mm-hmm. which means greater shareholder value, right? Which means I get promotion. I'm a food engineer now and they love my Doritos and they keep coming back for them and buying a ton of them. It's great. For their bottom line, it is an absolute disaster for your bottom line. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And, and then, and going back to the timing thing we we're talking about. So I eat roughly two meals a day. Sometimes it's like two and a half, you know, whatever. And I eat in the afternoon, early afternoon. I have a great lunch at two o'clock, something like that, if I can, which is a privilege because I work at home. I understand that, but. I don't eat at night. I am done at three or four. And also because I'm old, as you know, I've confessed already, you you change. You don't need the same amount of food, even though, you know, I'm all pumped up and everything. Your your metabolism is different and you need less food. And so, at Sam, at your age, you know, you're still eating happily more calories than I get. But I don't want you eating after four or five in the afternoon. I can do that. And you will find and you know, eat what you want. Eat good food, as much of it as you want, but then stop at a sensible place. And people, I'm, I am hearing from people more now that they are losing weight when they need to because most people's weight problems come from one eating crap okay and two eating crap late um at night in the evening and even i have a, a neighbor and a dear friend and we were yakking a couple days ago she said yeah i'm still eating all that crap but i don't eat after x time she's lost 30 pounds mm-hmm. just by 
limiting the time in which she eats her crap. Interesting. Of course, I'm going to be working on her. I'm hoping to, you know. <laughs> I'm sure you will. <laughs> migrate over to a less crappy way of eating. Um, but, and mindset, we are so attached to our food ways, aren't we? Sure, it's um, habitual. And Thanksgiving is such an interesting illustration of that every year. Mm-hmm. We all have the uncles rolling us I, my dressing has to be made like this. If it's not made like this, it's not real dressing. Mm-hmm. You know? Your pumpkin pie has got to be done like this. You know, don't give me your stupid lemon meringue, whatever we're going to have. Pumpkin pie. <laughs> that conversation in some format, right, is going on in homes all over the country. Yeah. Don't you know, there's really only one way to do a pumpkin pie, and this is it, you know. That's Thanksgiving. What's that? What was your main dish for Thanksgiving? Um, my main dish. Guess. I don't know why I'm thinking of like something to do with sweet potatoes, but turkey. It was turkey. (laughs) Because as a grandma, I got this whole crew here. And we have our folks in the family who are very attached to their turkey. And so it was wonderful. It was made beautifully by my daughter. And um, we had traditional from Companion Bakery. We had their pies made with that wheat that I talked about. And, yes, there was a sweet potato dish not made by me. Um and my dish was disappointing, actually. Oh. I made I made an old-timey uh, green bean casserole, but I did it with my mushroom soup, which is in the, the book, and I highly recommend it for everybody. Uh, people go, mushroom soup, try it. It's unbelievable, and it's mm. so healthy and so easy. And at the end, it's... It's just such a cinch to make. And then you have it to, to use as sauce on all these things. I put a little whiskey in my uh, mushroom soup at the end. And believe me, it's always a hit. Uh, but I made green bean casserole with canned green beans. I had not had canned green beans in my living room for a long time. But a friend had overbought and so on. And so I thought, well, and, you know, the canned green beans, they had little funny things in them. And they really... Mm-hmm aren't that great they don't really taste like the real thing no no so um to be honest jennifer i was i was the disappointment (laughs) at thanksgiving Uh, my green bean casserole which all you had to do was was just do it the way you normally do it i'm sure it would have been wonderful well any any potluck in the midwest i would have been thrown out <laughs> I mean, what is that one? She can't even make a green bean. Do you make cheese with the grandkids? Because I know you have grandkids. So do they ever get involved with baking and making food with you? Okay, Jennifer, we need to talk about this because my main deal is that when you raise kids, you need to raise those kids to be with you in everything that you do work-wise. And, you know, I never entertain my kids. 
my kids grew up in the kitchen, in the yard, right? And then in my office. And, um, and I, I urge parents to not exclude their children from their professional lives because, and my kids are now telling me, they're saying, I learned more about marketing from you, ma, than I ever learned in grad school. Um, and as, as young kids, my business was at home from 1987 until when, about 2000, um, my, Business was in my living room. That was where my office was. And so there'd be fighting and dogs barking and all this stuff. And the phone would ring and there'd silence. And they would answer the phone, Limbo and Creative Services. <laughs> because they knew that was our livelihood. That was their food. That was their college education, right? And there was a way to to be in an office. You know, you, you had to answer the phone. And so they went out to the workforce and out to college knowing how to wash clothes, knowing how to make a meal, knowing how to actually plant a garden and plant it. I mean, you know, that's how we need to be educating our kids, isn't it? Um, I agree. I I, would, I also want to throw something else, too, because um, you mentioned quite a bit earlier, you mentioned a few times that you're old. And yeah. I think you said you're 76. Is that right? Um, yeah. And and when I was growing up, 76 was old. It's not so old anymore. And and you, by the way, you're particularly young compared to most 76 year olds I know. So calling you old is, I have a, I have a hard time with that. You're not old in my view. And and to add on to that, I have a grandmother, a great grandmother who was, um, she lived to 108. I currently mm-hmm. have an uncle who is 106. Wow. And, and what that's telling me is, first of all, I have great genes. Second of all, it means that I am part of a larger population that keeps growing every single day that's going to live longer. Yeah. And what you're talking about is an essential piece of it because I know my uncle and my great grandmother both had great mindsets. They didn't have the dietary piece you're talking about, but they had great mindsets. That's why they're doing so well as they're doing. If we want well, to live the kind of life we really want to live up to that kind of age or further, that's where I think your piece comes into it. The science is all there to say that it's about your social network. Oh God, you're, you're hitting my wheelhouse. I'm loving this. <laughs> yeah. And, and your grandmas and them, um, I am willing to bet that there are people in their lives. They see people every day. They know there are people who care about them and with them and they engage all the time with family and friends. And and there's no question, the science is all there, that that's numero uno. That's the thing that keeps people healthy and alive. And and then of course the food and the um extra because if you if you have a social network, you get up off your butt and you offer somebody some coffee and you cook some, you know, it's part of still moving and eating. If you don't have a social network, you don't want to eat by yourself so much um that's a thing i talk about a lot actually and food is not just food food is never just food food is who you're eating with where you're eating and i have said more than once maybe ad nauseum um in my books and elsewhere go down the hall knock on a door find somebody to share your food with makes it taste better 
Mm-hmm. For them. Great advice. I love it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I wonder if that's because it's more like a bonding, like so you release oxytocin, you know, as you're doing it too. There's this connection to that that hormone that really rejuvenates the body and makes you feel all warm and fuzzy too. I, I'm sure you're right, Jennifer. There's probably some chemical. I'm not real good about the the yeah. cellular, the the microbiology of all of it, but uh, for sure we see it at work all the time, don't we? Mm-hmm. I mean, if you have any elders that you go visit and you take a bite with you and so on, it it's um, we and and we have a loneliness epidemic. We have more people living alone than ever. Uh, and more people living older, but in poorer health. We are keeping people alive, but not lively. Mm. Very good distinction. Uh, and um, that's a whole other subject. How are we doing that? Who's doing that? Why are we doing that? It's it's going to be interesting. And, and we, we are at a sea change point, I think about um so much in society but and and do you all knew, know tony seba's work he's a futurist out of stanford university not a lot but i i know of him yeah okay he's, i he's never been wrong as far as i've been able to see such interesting work but he is talking now if you want to look up his uh youtubes he's talking about food made at a cellular level um, that will replace most of the food that we are eating now hmm. by 2030. How, How, do How do you spell that name? Yeah, I was curious too, actually. S E B A. Tell them I sent you. Hey. Um, makes sense to me, actually. Yeah. It really but, does. I mean, it sounds like, whoa, that's just tomorrow. Right? It is. It's right Ooh. around the corner. Well, right. I, I'm then, telling you, by the end of the, the 2020s, we're going to be going through so much change that people's heads are going to be spinning. And 2030, are, it's already started, yeah. But but by 2030, there are going to be a lot of things that are just so different from the way we think about them now. Just, yes. So just a bunch of them. Yes. And a, a small example, I take a vitamin D supplement every day, two little gel things, a company called Orlo. O-R-L-O. These are grown in Iceland outside of the ocean. It's algae based, but, but not ocean based. Hmm. And they're, so this is an example of, because we want to do this in a way that isn't damaging to the ocean, that doesn't raise the temperature. And of course, Iceland is kind of way out in front in, in this area in a lot of ways because they have limited resources. And so they have to figure out how they're going to survive. And one way is growing these things in these strange looking, you know, very kind of futuristic looking facilities that are ocean products, but not being grown in the ocean. Very interesting. Yeah. Very, very interesting. One of the things that uh, comes to my mind as you're talking about all of this stuff is the fact that since mindset is at the beginning of every endeavor and since social connection 
That's one of my favorite topics, by the way. But since social connection is so important, I'll, I'll tell you about something. You, you, you may have heard about this. I'm not sure. Jennifer, I'm not sure if you've heard about this. Um, but there was a study that was done by Sean Aker, who's one of the leading thought persons in the positive psychology movement. He did the, the study at Harvard University. And in that study, he was trying to identify what factors he could point to that would be predictive of success because he was, he was working with college students, Harvard college students. He was, and Harvard students in particular are very stressed. You know, they're, they're very driven type A personalities, all that kind of thing. And he, and, and they were, you know, they were flaming out. They were just, you know, burning themselves out. So he was trying to find a common factor that he could point to that would indicate, okay, guys, here's what you do. And this is going to help you achieve the, whatever success you're looking for. And after uh, running this survey of a hundred plus questions, the only one that he could find that, create a correlation was a question about social connectedness and the correlation he found was 0.7 which means that one factor alone is 70 percent predictive of your ability or inability to be successful in life so when you talk about social connection i said yes absolutely i love that what i want to uh, bring into uh that piece of the topic is the idea if social connection is so important and I think it really is. And like you were pointing out, if it's so important that uh, there are many people who are isolated, either self-isolated or societally isolated, then what are some of the things we can do to kind of push that in a better direction? In other words, what, what steps can we as individuals take to help shift that lack of social connection into social connection? What I'm always saying, and it's oversimplified, but don't eat alone. If you can <laughs> go back to that again. Okay. <laughs> don't eat alone. And so in San Francisco, okay, how am I going to do that? We all have to think about how we can reach out. And again, and this isn't, this is because you're not nourishing yourself the same way when you're eating alone too. I mean, it has everything to do with how your food reacts in your body and how your food keeps you alive and healthy. We are absolutely not meant to eat alone think about you know the paleo kind of keto thing human beings are meant to share food and by in the act of sharing food and you mentioned jennifer there's probably some there's chemical stuff happening there there's hormones going on we we know there's stuff happening but i i would encourage people to stop thinking of food as just literally fuel that you stop and you fill her up you know <laughs> humans food is a sacrament it's commune communion as well as community the way we love people is by feeding them and and we're not going to change that in humans in one or two generations i think it, it would be a i don't know what's going to happen in them but as a mother and a grandmother, the way you love people and people tease me about it, but I'm not ashamed. People know when they walk in the door that it's like, are you hungry? Can I fix you some tea? Would you like some coffee? Can it, whatever. That's the most norm. And that will happen whether that's in South Africa or uh, Australia or wherever. Some grandma is going to want you to eat something <laughs> because that's how we make peace. Mm. And I want you to think about that. That's a good line. That is how we have always made peace. 
when you sit at a table with them, if you refuse their food, you have made war, literally. If you accept their food, you have made love. That's beautiful. Mm, I love that. Really, really good. That, that's too. just that, that's a great way to wind up this conversation. That's just woof. <laughs> you got my attention with that one. Okay, the book. The book is called Brownies for Breakfast. It's subtitled A Cookbook for Diabetics and the People Who Love Them. But really, it's for anybody, really. I mean, it's not limited to diabetics, right? Because we all love a diabetic, if you think about it. Um, well, that's true. Yeah, there's that also, yes. But but the point is that that the the ideas that you're talking about really apply to everyone. Everyone, everyone, absolutely right. Yeah. yeah. So it's how how do people find your book? Oh, I'm sorry. I just it's really simple. Whole food, don't eat crap. You know, plant based. There's there's no secret there. So how do people find the book? They can ask at their favorite uh, bookseller, which I encourage them to do. Uh, and tell them it's blowing up. You don't have it. What's wrong with you? Order it for you. <laughs> and, and they will. And, uh, you can get it on Amazon. Um, and you can get it in, uh, um, Kindle or hardback or paperback. And i I think I'm going to record it soon. I think I'll do a, an audible book because Sam, you're, you're, do you listen to a lot of books? Do you like audible books? I, I, I do like to read, but I also like to listen. It just depends on the situation, but it's good to have both options. And I think it'll reach a broader audience. I think people think cookbook, audible. Well, there's stories in there. It's yeah, not exactly all the recipes. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Terrific. All right. That's very good. So, now, I also have to ask Jennifer something because this is actually Jennifer's first show as a co host here on the show. It's a different I position, right? I didn't, she didn't get a word in edgewise. I'm so sorry. <laughs> but, but what's it like from your perspective? I mean, you, you, you've been on as a guest, now you're on as a co-host. What do you think, what, what do you think of the difference? Well, I love it because I, I love communicating and visiting with people. I love that communion. And that's actually one of the things, Lynn, that I'm going to take away the most that you said is it's so important to eat with people because that's something that I don't do. My husband and I are on very different schedules. Unfortunately, we are never able to have kids, even though we try. And so I eat by myself all the time. I'm like you, I eat twice a day. So I do fast and try to keep it in a tighter window. But um, I've just started really doing that this last year. And I find that it's changed my health around and um, just feeling way better. But yeah, I'm going to be knocking on some of my friends' doors saying, it's time to eat together. I'm coming over. <laughs> so, Good. Yeah. Great. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you so much. I, I love Thank that takeaway. I really do. I mean, when, when you said that, it was new to me, too. I hadn't thought about that. But the more oh. that you talked about it, the more I realized, yeah. I think about my own life, the times where I ate alone versus the times I ate with others. How did I do in that life? What was that? What was that life like? It was always more successful. It was always a better life whenever I was eating with somebody. Deals are made at the table. <laughs> <laughs> that too. Yes. <laughs> that too. Absolutely. Sam, what's your takeaway from this? 
Honestly, that as well. Like, I never thought about that. I live alone, and so I don't get to eat with others all that much. So I'm going to find ways to find people to join me in food some more. I think I'm going to text my dad after this and see if my partner wants to eat sometime this week. There you go. Oh, Sam, you and I dancing. Together. There you go. <laughs> together if nobody's around. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's beautiful. I love it. Lynn, look what you've done. You, you, you've set a new tone for us here. No, this, I love, this gives my life meaning. Truly. This is huge for me. You know, I, selling a book, you know, but if, if just a few people, you will delight your friends and your family by saying, can we have a meal? Can we, I'll cook. And, Buy the book because the recipes are all in there. Really simple of what you do. It's not complicated. Don't be, you know, worry about it. Your food will be wonderful because you're making it with love. And people will so appreciate you making a meal for them. That's a beautiful way to summarize. I love that. <laughs> so, um, it, well, first of all, I want to thank you for being on the show and sharing all these wonderful gems with us. Just, you know, truly wonderful. I also want to uh, give you something that I make it a practice to give all my guests. And boy, does it really apply to you. Really, really applies to you. Because there are many people, including listeners of this podcast, but also other podcasts you've been on, your own um, stuff that you've written, all that stuff. There are many people you've never met, you'll never see who you've, you've reached out and you've touched their lives in some way. I can just imagine right now hundreds of people listening to this podcast who picked out the message of find somebody to eat with. That alone is an example of it. And I think it's important to recognize that because we tend to skip over that because we don't see, we don't hear. So we figure, well, there's not really anything going on, but there is. So on behalf of those people who you've never met, who you've never seen, you never will meet, you never will see, whose lives you've touched in this way, I want to thank you for what you have been doing and what you continue to do. Thank you so much. That is so sweet. Thank you, Will. And thank you, Jennifer. Congratulations on getting through your first official episode as a co-host. Thank you. (laughs) Good stuff. Thank you, Sam, very much. Thank you to our podcast listeners everywhere. We will see you all next time here on LOA Today. Goodbye, everybody.